The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And this time around, we're just going to have guys that we absolutely love. Not only do we love their work as professionals, but we love them as people. And it's going to be our first time that we get to congratulate the voice of summer, the voice of your athletics, Ken Korak. We get to congratulate him going into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame. It's a big honor for Ken, and we loved having him on talking about it. So you're going to hear from the voice of your athletics, Ken Korak. Jeff Blum. Blummer's been a great friend of the program for many, many years, and he does the television for the Houston Astros, the former Cal Bear, a World Series uh, hero. Always a great interview. Love catching up with him. And then one of my favorite players of all time. Growing up in San Diego, going to a lot of Padre games, I loved Bip Roberts as a kid. Bip was such a good player, and he always liked the smaller guy that hustled, and he was strong, and he could steal bags, and he could play all over the diamond, and he was a switch hitter. And then over the years now, I've been able to work with Bip doing television and radio and just respect him, not only for what he does with radio and television, but just who the who, who the man is, who the guy is. A lot of integrity. I love me some Bip Roberts, the former All-Star. And then Anthony Wittrato from Forbes Magazine, he's a part of their sports division, has done some very good work on business and baseball and talking about the Oakland Athletics and the business of baseball. So that is all coming your way, but we're going to start out with the new Hall of Famer. That's Ken Korak. So now... We can call him the voice of summer. We can call him the voice of your athletics. We can also call him a Hall of Famer. The great Ken Korak joins us from Houston. Buddy, congratulations. This is a big league honor. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Now, you're getting a little carried away, but I do appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. No, I mean, Ken, look at the names and the people that you are joining in all the years. I mean, this isn't – we're not Podunk USA. We're one of the largest markets in the country. And when you get into this Hall of Fame, you're joining some of the greatest broadcasters who have ever lived. Well, and one of them I work with, of course, in Bill King, and I do appreciate that, Chris. And I just – you know, honestly, I just wanted to play whatever part I could play. And there's been such a legacy and tradition, like you said, of broadcasting. And um, I did my first game in the Bay Area, a high school game, in Petaluma in the fall of 1980. So we're talking about uh, 39 years ago. And you know, I have to tell you that, that you mentioned uh, a lot of the, the greats who uh, really uh, paved the way in the Bay Area, I think, in broadcasting, even going back to the 50s, uh, Chris. And so many of them were my idols. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, that uh, when I started working at KCBS in the, in the mid-'80s, um, it was intimidating in a way because I kind of felt like, how in, how in the world could I ever get as good as those guys? And that was, that was a difficult thing to, to kind of wrestle with at that point. And I think that, like all of us, you kind of come around to thinking that uh, the only person you can be is yourself. You have to sink or swim by uh, being yourself in this business. Yeah, I'm looking at the names now, and, and it's really a who's who of people that have been in our industry, in our area. You, we, we actually talked about it down in Anaheim when you were first announced to be one of the finalists. What was it like when you finally got the call? Well, it was cool, and, and one of the things on, on Saturday is um, a couple people tweeted it. Uh, so actually, I actually found out before they made the official announcement uh, they had a big radio day in the Bay Area over in the East Bay on Saturday that Stan Bunger, I believe, emceed. And then Ben Fong Torres made the announcement of the Hall of Famers. But, um, you know, Chris, it's, it's, if, you, if you think back at people like Bill King and Lon Simmons and Hank Greenwald, and I, I don't want to go on and on because I'm going to leave people out, uh, the Bay Area has a really special tradition from that standpoint. And I think if you think of these guys, uh, they went beyond just the nuts and bolts and calling play-by-play. I think there's, there was always this, this feeling about these guys that they, were, they, had, they brought a certain artistry to the broadcast. 
ludicrous that they were cultured people. Um, you know, there was an erudition to their, their broadcasting, and they, they, you know, they took it to the next level. And that was one of the great things about working with Bill. So uh, it's just the Bay Area, you know, Chris, the Bay Area has been a really special place to me. And I don't know if I would have had uh, even a modicum of success if I had worked in a different market. Uh, it's just been a really good fit. And I, I just feel really privileged to have had the chance to work in the market. You know, I, I think about when you work next to somebody for a long time that you learn things from them. What do you think is the number one thing you learn from Bill King? Well, it's interesting you'd, you'd ask that because I think, I think the learning from Bill, much of it took place before I ever met him, which was one of the incredible things about working with him because I had literally listened to Bill for 30 years before we worked together. And so as a kid back in the 60s, if I tuned the radio in just right, I could listen to the Warrior games and the incredible descriptions and dedication. And Bill was a wordsmith. As you know, and I've written about it, we've talked about it, how Bill would write a couple of new words in his scorebook before every game because he wanted to work those words into his vocabulary. But when I work with him, it was the passion. Uh, you know, Bill never did anything halfway, right? He, he either, it was love or hate for Bill in his life, and that's the way that he, he lived. He lived life on, on its own terms, on, on his own terms. But I think it was the passion that Bill brought to every broadcast and the preparation and the dedication. I, never, I mean, there were, like all of us, there were days in which he was better than other days, but he never took a day off. And I think that's one thing that uh, even when he got older, Chris, and you, know him, you knew him very well, that when he got older and he had the license maybe to, to mail it in, um, he was always dedicated to his preparation. So I think that's the... That's the one thing that stood out for me. And that's one thing that I think about for you is, and I don't think a lot of people, I mean, the big league lifestyle, it's not easy. It really isn't. And it's one thing when you're a young man making millions of dollars versus when you're older and the travel's not easy and going from town to town. The fact that you never mail it in, what does it mean to you to bring it every single night for this wonderful fan base who loves you so much? Well, I appreciate you saying that, but that's our obligation. After all, it's not the worst assignment in the world to go to the ballpark for a living. Uh, and I think you have to love it. I mean, there are days when you have to grind through it more than others, uh, like you would or any, anyone would do in, in their line of work. And when you're, you're tired or you haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep, but um, I think there's a certain discipline that you, you learn over the years. And that was a, a tough lesson for me to learn back in the minor league days. I did my first full season in the minor leagues in 1984. I had like three or four days off in five months, and that was a, a tough transition. But then you kind of get used to the routine of it, uh, Chris. And the other thing is I've, I work with really good people. Uh, the first assignment I had today when I got to the ballpark was recording the Bob Melvin show, and we're so lucky to have him. So when you're surrounded by uh, the people I've worked with and all the folks that make up our broadcasting team like you know Vince and yourself and every all the engineers Mike Baird and the rest of the gang uh, and the A's have been incredible to work for Chris and that they've given me freedom to do my job uh, for 24 years I haven't looked over my shoulder wondering what they were thinking uh, they've trusted me to tell their story and that doesn't happen uh, every day in our business well, I'm going to knock on wood, and, and I'm going to I'm a piggyback on that. For all the years and all the different shows and all the different hours I have been on the air around the Oakland Athletics, I have never, ever had one person come up to me and say, because I've said some critical stuff, uh, I've never had one person come up to me and say, hey, you can't say that or, hey, you can't do that. And it's one of the reasons why I left 95-7 the game and, and took this job to work for the A's full-time. It's the trust that they have, and they allow us to do our jobs. Just how wonderful is that for them as our bosses, that they let us be who we are, and they let us do it the way we think we know it's best? It's almost impossible to measure how much that means. Because if you, to try to do a game looking over your shoulder, or if your stomach is tied up in knots and you're worrying about what people are going to say in the front office, and my feeling has been, you, you hired me to do a job, let me do my job, and if you feel like you can get somebody that uh, can do it better, then, they, you know, it would be time to make a change. And I think it's, it also speaks to the, the Bay Area, Chris, and that we're not expected to be homers. I mean, I think, 
anyone who listens to an A's game knows that I've been closely associated with the team for all these years, and we enjoy it when the team plays well. But there has never been an expectation, uh, like, for instance, that we call the team we or us or that we blatantly root for the ball club. And I think that's one of the reasons why working in the Bay Area has been so attractive to me. And then I think also your time doing other sports. You know, a lot of A's fans just think of you as Ken Korak, the voice of the athletics, the voice of summer. But, you know, for my beloved San Jose State, you did football at San Jose State. You did some really big college basketball games when UNLV was riding high and they were one of the top uh, programs in the country. Talk about the other sports you've done in your career. Well, thanks, Chris. And it was great hearing from, I heard from so many people from down in San Jose and the San Jose State people have been wondering, uh, wonderful the last three or four days. So and Lawrence Fan is still there. Uh, well before you played for the Spartans and I was doing games, you know, Lawrence was the sports information director. Uh, he's been there for 40 years now, literally. Uh, well, I never set out in the business to focus on one sport. As a kid growing up, I was equally a fan of football and baseball and basketball, and, and so I idolized people like, like Bill, who did all three. Dick Enberg, I think, was one of the, the great uh, multi-sport broadcasters, and he was a real hero of mine, so... I figured I wanted to give this business my best shot. I didn't know if I'd get a break, Chris, or if I did, uh, where the break would come, if it would be in, in one of the other sports. So I, I tried to be um, equally dedicated to all three. And I was lucky, I think, for about 22 years, I was able to do all three uh, during the same year. Tell us the difference between doing all three, because all three, are it's a different style. It's just, it's just, it's just different. It is what it is. It is. But I think if you're accomplished at one, you should have a chance to be accomplished in the other. Um, I'll leave other people to judge whether I was any good or better in one or better at the other. Uh, the biggest transition for me was going from basketball to baseball, especially during the days when I was doing UNLV's games. And they were, it was pretty intense at the end of those seasons. And normally... Uh, they'd wind up in the postseason either in the NC2A or the NIT. So there's a real intensity. And now you go to spring training where it's really laid back. You have to pull back a little bit. But um, I think of the three, uh, there was more intensity for football, Chris, because everything, and, you know, now you're involved with the Raiders broadcast where you'd, the whole week would build up to football. And I think the kind of the, the amount of energy it takes to do a football game um, I think that might might have been the most intense. Uh, you know, basketball, uh, you're right there, and, it, you know, you, it takes about a half hour to memorize the names and the numbers, and you do the game. Um, I've always said this, and it, it may sound a little uh, self-indulgent, I guess, in a way, that, that baseball is the greatest test of a broadcaster's ability to communicate because of all the downtime. And I think that's one reason why uh, baseball was Bill's favorite sport to broadcast, because... Um, if you can't communicate, if you can't articulate, if you haven't done your homework, if you don't have a command of the language, then I think, uh, at least in radio, uh, doing baseball, you're going to get exposed. Yeah, and, and I just think the thing when I always think of B Bill King, I always think of the call, and he tells John Madden to get his big butt off the field. <laughs> get your big butt off the field. He does. Uh, I had to ask Madden about that when I was writing my book about Bill. <laughs> You know, I'm interviewing Madden, and I said, so how did it, you know, what did you think when you heard the, the replay of that and you heard Bill say, get your big butt off the field? <laughs> he was great. He was in good humor, so uh, that was really cool. You know, the one thing about the book that I, I think about for you is really you got a chance to interview some of the biggest names in the history of sports, whether we're talking baseball, we're talking about NFL, we're talking about NBA, that had to be such a thrill for you to, to, to sit down with these Hall of Fame, some of the biggest names of all time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It, it really was. I didn't, I didn't set out to do it. It was almost by accident because I wanted to tell Bill's story, but Bill's story was so woven into the history of the Bay Area. And there are people that forget that Bill worked on the Giants broadcast beginning in 59. They did Cal football and basketball on the radio. So his, it, it was impossible for me to separate Bill's history from uh, the history of Bay Area sports. And they're both so rich and intertwined. So it kind of evolved into me thinking that, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a, 
of a Bay Area sports history and to a certain degree uh, a little bit of a cultural history too. Once you get put into a Hall of Fame, they can never take it away from you. Congratulations. <laughs> Well-deserved. And now I can call you, not only can I call you the voice of summer, but I can call you HOF. This kind of stuff happens when you get older, Chris. But <laughs> I do appreciate it. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really thrilled. And I think that, you know, the, the best thing about it was hearing from so many people. Uh, friends and, and co-workers and people I've worked with. And, uh, you know, that, that has been the, the really, truly uh, the best part of this honor, but and, and yourself included. So I appreciate it, man. All right. The big reward for you is you don't have to do pregame today. You're off. I love it. All right, buddy. I, I, Thanks, I, will, I will talk to you in the third. Thanks, Chris. Such a big honor for our man, Ken Korak, well-deserved, one of the best broadcasters in the business. And now we go to our buddy in Houston, Jeff Blum, breaking down Major League Baseball. He's one of our favorites as he does color for Astros Television. The former Cal Bear, we got Blummer. He's a World Series hero. He's a former Cal Bear, and he's just killing it in Houston doing television. Blummer, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Townsend? I am doing really well, and I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this series. As the A's are playing good baseball, uh, the the Astros, I mean the uh, the Angels, got you guys all fired up, and now you guys have won five in a row. This is going to be a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. It's nice how the rotation is matched up to have Garrett Cole, Miley, and Justin Verlander going in this series. Uh, you know, we don't give A.J. Hinch enough credit for, uh, you know, what he was doing. He was he said, quote-unquote, that he was trying to separate Cole from Verlander, but it worked out pretty good how later after the All-Star break, the matchup is what it is. Yeah, because I think uh, you look at what the A's have going, and Homer Bailey, who he's been red hot, Mike Fires has been red hot, so it's going to be basically the A's best against the Astros best. And just talk about ever since Marisnik got hit, I mean, it just ignited the Astros. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how those moments kind of bring guys together a little bit. But I knew, and everybody else knew, that going into that series against Anaheim, there might have been an opportunity for some retribution because of that hit on Jake Marisnik. Whether it was intentional or not, there's a, definitely a feeling within big league clubhouses that if you put one of our guys on the injured list, we're going to come back at you and tell you how much we didn't appreciate it. And the Angels squandered an opportunity just to hit Jake in the back and move on with things. But with Noe Ramirez getting up towards the head area, that kind of fired up uh, the, the guys in the dugout. They got on the top shelf. They started yelling at Albert Pujols. And it kind of galvanized and brought everybody together. But it definitely brought a little more emotion to a ball club that was just kind of going through the motions at the time. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a long season, and you never know what, what, what's going to happen to a ball club to really get it going. But, you know, for the A's, the way they've been playing, you know, it, it's just strange. Like, every single year when the A's are good, pretty much since, like, 2000, it's like the A's struggle at first, and then all of a sudden they hit June and July, and they, and they really put the pedal to the metal. You know, why do you think that, that has happened for all these years for this franchise? Well, that's what I wanted to flip the script on you getting on this show because that's something that, you know, from afar, you know, even as a player when I was coming up and playing against the A's and watching what they were doing, the second half of the Oakland A's organization, like you said, since 2000, I mean, it, that, that's a reasonable, reasonable amount of time to kind of assume that there's something going on up there in uh, Northern California that makes these guys play so well. And, you know, last year, a lot of the questions with the uh, Oakland Athletics was, they're young, they're playing hard, will they be able to sustain themselves? Well, they did. This year it was, oh, they're falling off a little bit because they're, they're, they're too young to understand how to bounce back from a season like they had last year. And here they are, the second half of the season, making a push in the West, obviously making a push in the wild card. But I want to ask you, I don't have an answer for it. How do they do that? Is it Bob Melvin? Is it Billy Bean? Is it just something that happens up there in Northern California? Well, I've been asking everybody this question, especially people who've been around the whole time, like a guy like Ray Fossey, and no one really has an answer because you think about it. There's been a ton of different managers. There's different coaches. There are different players, but the script remains the same. I think the best way to, I guess, to explain it would be there's always a lot of turnover. So since there's a lot of turnover, it takes some time. But once everybody acclimates in a great clubhouse, and the A's have always had a great clubhouse, and you can talk to that, the difference between having a great clubhouse and a bad clubhouse, I guess it just takes time for everybody to figure it out. But when they figure it out around June, and then away you go. 
No, you're absolutely right, and I agree with you as far as the clubhouse, and that's what I give a lot of credit to Bob Melvin about, really getting these guys in the mindset of going out there and playing hard as they can every, every day and believing their, in their abilities. But, uh, you know, it also might be a situation, and this doesn't hold true for Astros or Astro fans because we've seen the Oakland Athletics for the last seven years in the American League do what they do in the second half of these, of these seasons. But it's amazing to me how people around baseball really take for granted the Oakland uh, A's as a team just because of what you said with the turnover. You know, there are a lot of faces moving in and out and understanding that, you know, if you do play well in Oakland, there's a chance you get shipped out. But at the same time, they get taken for granted for whatever reason. And I think to your point with that clubhouse, these guys kind of figure out, hey, we're not as bad as, we, as everybody else thinks we are. We believe in ourselves. So why don't we go out there and play and prove everybody wrong? Gee, that really seems to be the common theme over the years is that they want to go out there and prove everybody wrong and play as hard as they can. And they're highly talented, especially in the last couple of years. Speaking of themes, uh, we have one here in Oakland, and you can pretty much say the same thing for every team. Ball goes far, team goes far, and all these home runs that are going out is I'm 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 looking at these lineups today, and you, your lineup's got a bunch of home runs. This lineup has a. What are you seeing with this baseball and the record amount of home runs going on in Major League Baseball right now? You know what? It wasn't until recently where I started to believe a little bit about the juice baseball. You know, having sat here and watched Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander go about their business. They go out, there's been plenty of games where they've gone out, struck out a double-digit number in strikeouts, yet they've given up two or three home runs. So you kind of, it kind of piques your interest a little bit, or you say, oh, they made a mistake, and the way guys are swinging, every athlete this day and age is bigger, faster, stronger, so maybe they're squaring up some of the mistakes that these guys make. But then you go back and you see that they've hit a 350-foot home run, a 365-foot home run. And I think those are the ones that really cause a lot of concern for guys like Verlander and Garrett Cole because in years past, those might be warning track shots. And if you take it a little bit further and watch a lot of the baseball games around Major League Baseball, I've seen, I feel like I've seen more often than not fly balls to the outfield, push outfielders back. They've drifted back. We haven't seen as many come charging in on a lot of these fly balls or stay camped out where they're at. A lot of these, you know, not necessarily well-hit baseballs have a tendency to drift a little bit further and push these outfielders back. And then, of course, you know, you read a couple of articles in The Athletic where astrophysicists have actually done, you know, substantial, legitimate work to the baseball and have five different theories that they're working on to say that the ball actually is traveling faster. And you add... You add the baseball to the player, to the, the swing thoughts that these guys are having on launch angles and just pummeling home runs for three swings and at bat, not cutting down with two strikes, and you get more fly balls. So it's a culmination, or it's a combination of the baseball and the, the modern-day uh, hitter. Yeah, we've had the astrophysicist on. She's actually local here in oh, Fremont. Good. Yeah, Meredith Wills, Dr. Meredith Wills, she's fabulous. She, she's written some great articles, man. <laughs> yeah, she she's kind of put to Rob Manfred in the corner a little bit. No, I completely agree, and I, I love that fact. And what was most astonishing, and I'm sorry to interrupt, is that the most astonishing fact to me was that, uh, you know, the Major League Baseball had purchased part of Rawlings and nobody had really talked about it. Yeah, I had no clue about that, so it's like, wow. So there's some interesting things. Also very interesting that came out of The Athletic is just how the Astros are changing baseball once again, and they have that McKinsey and Company, that consulting firm. They've brought them in, and usually when you think consulting firms in baseball that they're worried about ticket sales or, or, or whatever, but this is about in-house, in baseball, and breaking down baseball in 2017 and 2018 for the Astros. What have you learned about this consulting firm, how they have helped the Astros? Um, you know what? I, I just read an article briefly that said that they were getting in on the and trying to streamline what they're doing. But it's also interesting that, you know, Jeff Luno obviously has strong ties to the company. But it's also I think it's, it, it talks a little bit more about how the Astros are trying to get better at literally everything they're doing. And I think I don't think they've plateaued, but I think they've gotten to a point where they've really figured out whatever algorithms or whatever the scouting process is or whatever the information they're sending to the ball club, you know, they've really figured out how, how they get their information and what information they want. Now they're trying to figure out how they can make the organization better. But it, it will be an interesting conversation if I ever get the opportunity to corner Jeff Luno and ask him a little bit more about that and see what he says about it. That would be a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, he's a little busy right now at the trade deadline. And what's always scary about the Astros 
is that the Astros are really like the main team now that knows how to look at other people's talent and realizes the guys that they think they can bring in and they can make that guy better like we've seen with Cole, like we've seen with Verlander. Have you ever seen anything anything like this in your career? Oh, no, not at all. No, I usually, you know, there, there's a consensus between, you know, us and the media or players or general managers, and you have a very good idea of who the, who the best guys on the worst teams are, and those are typically the names that get thrown out there. And that has completely shifted with the uh, Astros organization. Not that Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander were marginal guys, but you look at Justin Verlander and people say, well, he's at the tail end of his career. Comes over to the Astros, all of a sudden he has renewed life, a great fastball, and he's developed a slider. Garrett Cole, a guy pitching who was who young, but they just said, well, maybe he's peaked a little bit, he's given up a lot of home runs. Comes over to the Astros, gets on the four-seam fastball, and all of a sudden he becomes a strikeout machine. Uh, the other guy, a little bit more, may have gone under the radar a little bit, is a guy like Ryan Presley. They were impressed with his spin rate and didn't feel the Minnesota Twins were using it properly. They trade for him, and all of a sudden he becomes a spin master out in the in the bullpen, striking everybody out, and proves to be a, a you know an all star worthy setup guy for Roberto Osuna. And I, and that's where they've kind of perfected the market a little bit and perfected some of those algorithms and how they scout guys and being able to look outside the box. And the reason they do that is because they've done such a good job in the draft and they have a future with prospects that they don't want to get rid of them. So how do you maximize some of the marginal prospects that you do have to get a good return? So you have to dig a little bit deeper, find some numbers, find some guys that maybe are a little more available at a little bit less price and make them better. I think about you. You played for the Astros in 02 and 03, but then you came back in 2008. Think if it was like now, you'd be hitting 30 home runs a year with this stuff. Yeah, tell you what, man. You know what I think about it all the time, and it's always fun to you know retire after your career and say, well, I, if I played in this generation, I would have done this, I would have done that. But uh, it, it would have taken a lot of hard work to compete at this level, but I see the baseball, and that's probably the most notable difference. Two things. The baseball is a little bit different, and the swing uh, thought is a little bit different. When I was coming up and when I played in the big leagues, I, w- I had to be a contact guy. I couldn't strike out. I had to put the ball in play, force my way on base, you know, uh, you know, not get out of the zone and try and swing too big. And if I would have had that mentality of going for the downs every time, who knows, I might have hit one more homer and nobody would have been talking about the 99 I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you would have been concerned about your launch angle, you know, it's crazy. And I talk to people all the time about this. Like when we were growing up, we were taught, you know, have the approach of hit it back up the middle. Well, you can't do that anymore because they got a guy standing right there. Oh, absolutely true. That was the biggest thing. They always said hit it to the big part of the park, and the big part of the park was up the middle because traditionally the shortstop's playing shortstop, the second baseman's playing second base. But if you move that guy up the middle, that takes away that that entire thought process, and you either turn into a guy who insides out everything to try and beat the shift, or you drop and drive and try and hit it over the shift. Blummer, you're the best. We always appreciate it. Have a good call tonight and enjoy this series. You know what? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, and I hope it is a good series. I know the A's are playing great baseball. I appreciate the way they play, and I also appreciate the fans. Thanks for having me on, man. You know, whenever we're going to hook up against the Astros, we're going to talk to Jeff Blum because he's one of the best in the business. Bib Roberts is an Oakland kid, loves the Oakland A's, loved growing up an Oakland A's fan. And Bip was a terrific player. He was an all-star. And like I said earlier, he was one of my favorites growing up. So whenever we can have Bip Roberts on, uh, it, it is a treat because being able to work, you know, watching him growing up and then now working with him, doing some television and some radio, he, he's the best. Here is the former A and the former all-star, Bip Roberts. Bip Roberts, former all-star, hey. one of my favorite players all time, joins us here on A's Cast Live. Bip. Your A's are hot. Man, Talik, do you feel that energy, man? I feel the energy right now. And let me just say this. I don't know why it always happens around this time, but I don't know if you could bottle that up and and sell it around the league. I think every team would be looking to buy some of that, and and it's just called unity. It's called all of a sudden things just start to happen. And when your team is good, they make things happen like this, and we see a good team right now. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been asking a bunch of people, especially people who've been around here for a long time, because like it's BIP. It's like ever since like the year 2000 and to where we are today, there's been different managers, different coaches, different players. What is it about this organization? They don't get out to a hot start, but then when they are good, they just kick it into gear June and July, and it's off to the races. I mean, that's almost 20 years of doing it. You know, I was fortunate enough to be in that clubhouse at one time, and I got my one run. I got a chance to play with Ricky, my idol, forever. And the clubhouse is different. And it's a clubhouse where you don't feel anything that pulls you away from your team. You don't feel it at all. It, it, it's, 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 it's where you're so close in there. And these guys' mental outlook is so different than most organizations that they're able to cruise. And I don't mean cruise through the season, but for guys like me who was fiery and and every day was like the stock market up and down, these guys, this organization, the clubhouse, is one of the coolest clubhouses that I've ever been at or been associated with. And I don't know if it's, something that is taught, but the year I spent there was one of the best years in a clubhouse that I'd ever had. And it was only half a season. But then when you go in there now, it's the same type of clubhouse. There's nobody in there rah-rah. There's nobody taking over the clubhouse. There's nobody trying to be in front. There's nobody acting as if the team is there. There's none of, none of that type of stuff. It's 25 guys, and, and they're brothers, man. And, and it's, the real, it's the real sense of what brotherhood is. And off the field, they're, they're still one together. And, and that's the key, too. That clubhouse is an extension of who they are as people, and those guys are really who they are when you see them on the field. There's none of that fake stuff. And you, you, you can't get away with fake in Oakland. We know fake. This is real. I don't know why it is. But it's the same thing as the Warriors type thing. It's a family thing. When you're from Oakland, we family. Don't come with the fake stuff. Let's keep it real. Yeah, and then tell us what the difference is being in a bad clubhouse. How miserable is that? Well, you have then people are trying to get numbers because it's about a job. And you're trying to survive. So it becomes survival of the fittest. And you have to have this mentality of really take no prisoners to every day when your job is to get the W, to get an L, because then changes happen. People's careers are disrupted, and you never know what could happen. You could be here today and gone tomorrow. So when you get to that point, you just have to let it all go. Whatever it is that's inside of you, you have to give it all every day, and hopefully you don't get tired. You know, me, I used to get tired, man. I'll tell you, because I had to give more out of this little body than probably most people did. <laughs> and um, people knew that, hey, man, he, he gets tired because I might be on base four times one day and, and I'm running and diving and play two or three positions that day. And, hell, yeah, I'm tired the next day. So I get it. It's a tough grind. Tough grind. But when, when you're losing, it, it becomes double that. So it's better to be on a winning team, definitely. Yeah, I know knowing you – and what you put on defense, watching this team, you can talk about home runs, you can talk about a lot of different things, but wouldn't you say the hallmark of this team this year and last year is how good the defense is? Solid. They don't make errors that are routine like they used to make. Everyone, when you go around that, that infield and outfield, makes the plays. And it's because I believe they study. They understand what the hitters are doing. But for the most part, they have talent. You, you know, you have to have talent, first of all. And then instincts and IQ to go with it. They have that. And, man, it's just it's nice to watch where guys make the plays. That's what happens in the big leagues. You make the plays. The teams that make the plays win. The teams that don't make the plays, they don't win. And the A's make the plays. These guys are solid. These are big league guys who, you know, if they keep their heads right, they're going to be around a long time. 
and you think about what you saw today, you know, it's not easy making a debut for a team, especially when a team has come out and traded for you and he hadn't pitched since July 4th. How did you think Homer Bailey did today? Uh, I, I thought he did really well. Again, County, it goes to, back to that clubhouse. I don't think anybody went to him and said, hey, you know what, man, you're on the mound today. You got to do this. And you have to do this. And you have to make sure that we – it wasn't even like that. I'm sure they just said, all right, hey, Homer's on the mound. Let's go. This is what we do. And I, I just believe that he could fit right in because there's, there's not that pressure. We're not on the East Coast where every day, you know, in New York or Boston, you get grilled if you want to lose. The way you play, it, you might win, but if somebody struggles, they talk about the guy that struggles. But here, it doesn't matter. That guy's not—he's not, not going to be uh, under the microscope, and, and you're not going to get those tough questions. But the A's, again, as a family and the way they do things here, and it, it's just one of those things where everything is meshing right now. Homer fits right in. He's going to be okay because the guys in the clubhouse are leaders. Well, that, that's, you know, it's great stuff seeing Bailey come out here and give the A's really what they needed, right? They need they need somebody that's going to give them a veteran presence, going to give them some innings, some quality innings, and that time to be able to rest that bullpen. I want to talk to you about Franklin Barreto. Franklin's getting his opportunity. He's hitting 152 right now. We know he has the tools. If you could sit down with Franklin to get him right, what would you say? I would tell him that this league is its based on you relaxing and playing your game. I've, I've felt where he's been before at 22 when I first came up with the Padres, when I was at Rule 5 and I was supposed to replace Alan Wiggins, who was a bona fide base dealer, fastest man I'd ever seen. And I was supposed to come in and replace him. And at 22, being young and brash, I thought I could do that. So... It took two years for me to, you know, have a foot put up my, you know what, to understand that you have to have understand how this game works and make adjustments according to how it works. And your muscle memory will dictate if that works in a game. And so I had to learn that. And I had veteran guys teach me that. They always said, you can hit. And I kept saying, man, yeah, I can hit, but you guys have taught me something I didn't know how to do. And that was to use the opposite field to set up the whole field. And he's got to do that more. He's got to use that right center field to set up the entire field because they're throwing that fastball a middle away, and then they're throwing a slider off of it away and away, and he's chasing it. So he either has to understand how to stay inside that ball going the other way or take that pitch because he can't hit that slider. That is like the right-hander's kryptonite, though easier said than done because when a guy can bring it and then he has a good slider, man, he's he going to own you. But the good hitters foul those pitches off or they take them. But I think mentally, if you can relax, then you can play your game. And when he gets up here, he's not as relaxed as he is in AAA. He's got to carry that over to the big leagues. But he's got to come here with the, the ability to make adjustments and and I think his offense is where he gets his confidence from. So, you know, he, he's got to make these adjustments and he's got to stick to them. That approach is key, Tony. If, if you don't have that approach each and every time, then you become inconsistent. And that's why guys like Gwen and the, the prolific 300 hitters, they have, you know exactly what they're going to do. So they do it every time because it's what they do. Tony used to say, you do what you do. Don't make him, don't allow him to do to you what he wants. Do what you do. And I think he has to be able to get to that point where he can do what he does. And isn't that the key why you switch hit? So so you, as as a you, you don't you're not susceptible to being the righty versus lighty facing that deadly slider. I don't know how they do it, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> know how they do it man i am blessed i was so blessed to hit on both sides man i learned that at probably when i was about eight years old seven eight years old i switched hitting little league all my life i switched it so that's who i was and that's what i did and carried it to the big leagues but i watched and i tried one time in instructional ball to hit right-handed 
against a right-hander, and I swung at a slider way in the other box. And I said, wow, I don't know. Wow, if I didn't switch it, ooh, it'd be a different story. So I have much respect for right-handers who are consistent against right-handed hitters, uh, right-handed pitchers, because that's not an easy job. It's, it's very tough. Hey, before you get out of here, you know, we always like to help promote your business. Tell, tell everybody how they can get your net and how this training device is just phenomenal for everybody who plays the game, whether you're playing baseball, softball, it's perfect for everybody. Well, you know, we talk about the cutoff, man. It's something that really helps you get those repetitions that you need to get the muscle memory to become a better player. And it's used on just about any baseball field that you can think of in any backyard, anywhere. And it just allows you, especially as a coach, if you have it on your field, to do a lot of different things within that hour and a half of practice that you get. And it's got uh, arrows in it, actually, to help you throw the targets and develop that muscle memory to hit a target. And the good thing about it now, Sound, is that more people are using one, two, three, four on the field at a time. And I think what happened was once that started happening, we were able to find manufacturers who could, you know, help us lower the price. So we got it down to 250 now, which I think is a steal. People say, man, B, that, that is just too low for this thing. But, you know, I want everybody to have it so that, you know, we continue to develop great baseball players, players who have, you know, the talents of, like, what, what when you see – the guys on our team play with, you know, because now they understand how to throw the targets and, and make the plays because they have that everyday consistency. And and this here in your backyard, turning double plays or out on the field, getting extra reps, it makes you a better ball player. And how can you find it? It's on uh, teammate sports and you look up under the cutoff man and you're, you're able to see it. You can either, I guess you can, you can you can get one either on the website or you can use the number there and, and call and, and order one. Most of the time we have guys out right now in the city just out showing it to coaches and, and, and demonstrating it. And once they demonstrate it, the coaches love it and they end up purchasing the product. So I, I, like, I like that because you get a ground roots type of, uh, you know, effort out there with knowing who the coaches are and the coaches know who you are and they know what the product is and, then they know why they're buying the product. Bipster, you're the best, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, man, thanks for having me, brother. Hey, I know you're having fun, man. Continue to do so. The Bipster, making it happen. And then our final interview for you, Anthony Wittrato from Forbes Magazine in their sports division wrote a really good article about how baseball really needs to start promoting their players better and need to start promoting their sport better. And we get into the business of baseball and and the athletics. And we also talk about A's cast, what we're doing here with A's cast live and A's cast. And he's very interested because he knows what you're listening to right now is the future for Major League Baseball. You could say that for the NFL, for the NBA and hockey. Let's talk a little baseball and business with Anthony Wittrado. Anthony, Chris Townsend here on A's cast live. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. I, I used to have Anthony on on my old sports radio station, but it's great to have on this new venture. Anthony, I don't know if you know much about this, but obviously what we're doing here, we're the only team in baseball that has a 24-7 streaming station on the TuneIn app. And not only can you hear the pregame show, the game, the postgame show, we've now started this show, which is a live show. So this is something that's never been done in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'll tell you what, after uh, I was asked to come on, I started to do a little research and uh, found out what you guys were doing. I'll tell you what, you, you couple things like this along with what you're doing in terms of season ticket sales and how you're trying to attract a different fan base and making it easier for them to, um, uh, to become part of this thing. Uh, the innovation happening over there is really, really impressive. So kudos to you guys for that. Yeah, Chris Giles, our COO, came up with A's Access. And, you know, the way to explain to people, instead of just being your regular season ticket, it's almost like a gym membership. You can come and go at any point whenever you want. And once you explain it to people, people are like, oh, that's awesome. I can't tell you, Anthony, how many people will be like, 
it's like a Tuesday, and they go, yeah, I got off work, and I want to show up for a couple innings and just check it out and enjoy the game, and then I got to go. So it's basically tickets your way, which I think a lot of people in baseball will develop at some point. I think so, and, and I think this is the model. And actually, for Forbes, I'll be doing something, I think, on this soon. Um, because I was talking, I wrote a column basically saying that baseball needs to find ways to reach out to younger uh, fans. And uh, uh, some people from your front office reached out there, your communications team, and said, hey, this is what we're doing. And I did read about it, you know, as the season was getting ready to start, about how this they were innovating this. Um, so I, I think I'm going to be doing something soon. And I think A's cast um, should be a part of that because, it's, again, it's, it's an innovation. It's a different thing from the norm, uh, from what we've always seen. And it's positive, and I think it's changed for the better. Well, if you do that, I will really appreciate it. When you're in the Bay Area, I'll buy you beers, too. Sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, I something that it, it's, it's fascinating with what's happening with the ball. Obviously, the ball is different. The ball is going further, more home runs than ever before. And talent evaluators right now are having a tough time. I just talked to David Forrest, the GM of the A's, about it, and he said yes. It's tougher looking at what's real, what's not. Mark DeRosa of the MLB Network was on this program saying kind of reminds him of the steroid era, whether it's the big leagues or AAA using the ball. And then I thought, since you're Forbes, I thought about the money side of this. If you have record home runs for players and they're going to have record numbers, how do you think this is going to affect free agency and also arbitration in the offseason? Well, I'll tell you what. I think what it starts to do is um, you, we've already seen the scale start to slide, right? So guys who are hitting free agency in their 30s aren't getting paid what they were just a few off-seasons ago. And I think the, the, the next evolution of, what the, of, of, of paying out the best players in the sport is going to be trying to slide that scale back to the, to the younger players, obviously, because what, what they have now – the owners in the front offices that caught on and said this is bad for business. It's not good. It's not a good way to win games when you tie up so much of your payroll into a few players who are on the decline. The problem with it is is that the owners have it. The, the, they have the best of both worlds. Worlds where there's solid reasoning to not play to not pay the older players, but they already have a system in place that doesn't pay the younger players who are their who are their best players. And you look at the All Star Game rosters and. I think something like, you know, upwards of 20 guys were players either making the minimum or still pre-arbitration. And so the most, the, the, the concentration of talent in the game is being paid the least right now for the most part. And, uh, and ownership is, is kind of having their cake and eating it too. So I think when you look at things like the ball and how stats are being pumped up and, and a little bit inflated on the power side, um, you know, regardless of, of if you think it's right or wrong, the fact is that those younger players are putting up numbers like we've never seen before. And, and it's not just the ball. I mean, they're, they're just better players. Let's, let's not get anything twisted here. Um, but I think it, it, it obviously helps. And you're going to see, I think, the players union fight harder because they're going to say, look at these guys' numbers. It's absurd to be paying them the league minimum if you're not going to pay the, pay them when they hit free agency. So, I do think the ball in that way is going to have an effect on the economics of the sport going forward. Yes, I. there's no question. And, I, you know, people have been like, oh, my God, the, the CBA is coming up and we could have labor strife. The main lawyer has just been replaced for the players union. We found out about that today. But then I circle back to the end of last year's World Series. We've seen almost a record number extensions for all these different players who don't want to go to free agency. And if we have all these players who have signed these extensions, why would they want labor strife? Why would they not want to play? Well, and the reason you're seeing it is because there's the uncertainty in free agency, right? And, and which is what you just mentioned. And so <clears throat> I don't necessarily think that there there's, they want the strife, but they want to make sure they want to ensure that these dollars are coming to them all when when they deserve them. Because right now, um, if your team, if your front office isn't willing to give you that extension, they don't have to. 
And so you're producing for them at that level so that eventually one day you are paid that life-changing money, um, but it's completely up to them. It has nothing to do with you. You can, you can win M- three MVP awards in a row, and if you're still within your first one to six seasons, they don't have to, give, they don't have to extend you at all. And so while it's great for players like Mike Trout, it's great for, um, you know, these kinds of guys who have signed, you know, multi-nine-figure extensions before they're in their, you know, fourth, fifth season in the big leagues, that's great. But not everybody's going to get that. You look at Francisco Lindor with the Indians. When are they going to extend him? Probably, they're, they're probably not. And so because they understand what it's going to cost to lock him up. Uh, so he's not going to get paid, whereas you look at a guy like Cody Bellinger, who the Dodgers will probably extend, and uh, he, he's the guy who wins in that situation. But Lindor is stuck, and he's going to be an all-star through his career in Cleveland. And when he's done and he hits free agency, you know what they're going to tell him? Uh, but you're going to be on the decline soon, so we're not going to pay you what you think you deserve. God, that's rough. So you just wonder what has to change because the arbitration years, something has to change to get these guys money earlier. If you're not going to pay them later the way the old model was set up, how do you pay them earlier and give them what they truly deserve because the young players are the dominant force in this game? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And it's it's trending that way more and more. And I think the reason A's fans should have an interest in this is because them, the Rays, you know, those, those teams that are that are kind of the, the lower payroll clubs, one of the things that they have uh, that they've, they've had the advantage in is, is drafting well, developing players well, right? It's the only way they can stay competitive. So they have to be among the best in the sport at those things because they don't always have the money to pay the free agents to come play for them. So how this affects the fan base and how this affects this organization is that if you start to extend players earlier or if their payroll goes up sooner, all of a sudden the incentive to trade that guy before he hits free agency or become he, or before he becomes a megastar is decreased. And so what that means is you keep your star players longer. So it's not necessarily a situation where you have to trade them before they leave you or you have to trade them because you know you can't pay them. You're going to be able to put money into them based on the new economics of the sport that allows you to keep that player through the prime of his career. I think that's music to my fan base's ears right there because this is the thing, Anthony, for so many years people have said on my shows, you know, we can't buy a jersey because you buy a jersey, that guy's going to be gone. And I know I'd like to say over the years that it's about the name on the front of the jersey and winning games, but there is something about connection of players like a Matt Chapman or a Matt Olson or a Chris Davis to the fan base. And if you're telling A's fans, if there's a new economical system in the next CBA that can keep their players around longer, they're all for it. Absolutely. And it, and it, it solves another problem that you kind of just mentioned is that one of the part of that column that I wrote about having to attract a different fan base is that the, the, casual fan or the non-baseball fan has no incentive right now to connect with an individual player. And so, and, and that's what's selling the NBA right now. Let's face it. I mean, it's, you know, you, you're not rooting for the Cavs or you're not a Cavs fan. You're a LeBron fan, or you may live in Tennessee and you're an Anthony Davis fan. And so when he goes to the Lakers, all of a sudden you're buying an Anthony Davis Lakers Jersey, right? So it, it's, it's a situation where Baseball has done a poor job of marketing the individual player, and fans, for certain, especially for certain in certain markets, can't count on their stars or their favorite players to be there long term. If if this new CBA can be can can you know be agreed upon to where the players' union is happy, I think it starts to it starts to show that the younger players are paid better earlier, which means. Again, it de-incentivizes teams like the A's to have to trade them because the whole purpose of trading them right now and the reason why you can get so much for them is because a bigger club 
goes, looks at a player and goes, this guy's a two-time all-star in his third season, and he's making the league minimum, and he's just going to start going into arbitration. We can get that guy because he's, he's cost-controlled. And so the A's deal him because they can get a huge package back, and, and that team loves it because that guy's not making $30 million a year. Well, if, everyone's, if that's not an issue anymore, the A's don't have to trade that guy, and they're competitive for longer with the same group of players. It is a great article. MLB is costing his players millions by not promoting them properly. How much do you put that on Tony Clark and the players' union? There's a there's a good amount of it on them because what Tony Clark should have been doing earlier is getting these guys to promote themselves. Again, NBA players do a fantastic job of this. Um, you know, you can talk about all the player empowerment situations and, and that trend and everything and that's fine but no one cares if they can't be invested in the players and the nba guys are great on social media um you know they're 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 on national commercials that air when basketball is not in season i mean i, I just i can't tell you how many times in the last week i've seen the the state farm or farmers insurance commercial that features james harden and chris paul this week i mean it's it you know and and so you, you, you have to promote your players that way. And I think the players union should take some accountability on it, but the majority of it, the overwhelming majority of it, falls on Major League Baseball. I mean, you can't, during one all-star break, say Mike Trout is not marketable because he doesn't want to market himself. And the next year, create a video of who he is as a person and where he comes from that gets rave reviews and 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 not have to take some accountability because that's what Major League Baseball has done. And while I've seen that, I've seen the Trout commercial, I've seen the Javi Baez commercial, I've seen the Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger commercial. Um, if you guys haven't seen those, go to MLB's YouTube and look at them. They're, they're fantastic, all three of those. But every time I see them, it's during an, a Major League Baseball game. I can't watch something else and expect to see those commercials. For NBA players, they're all over my TV no matter what channel I'm on. Yeah, and the same thing with quarterbacks with the NFL. We're always going to see – I mean, I, I'm sitting here in a bar right now, and I can tell you I've seen multiple commercials with Peyton Manning on it. He didn't even play anymore. And he doesn't I, even play anymore, yeah. And, and, I, and I'm thinking about baseball. Yeah, what do they do? It's like baseball – they, they got all their television money. They got the national television money. They got the local television money. And now they've just sat on their hands all these years. There's not, That's the perfect term for it. They're sitting on their hands. And some of these contracts are two decades long. Um, but for others who are, who are kind of licking their chops and going, okay, our TV contract is going to be up in, let's say, five years, and then we're really going to cash in and it's going to change the way we operate. Well, maybe not because – as advertisers and television stations start to see that, well, you know what? Baseball's not quite that draw. You're not gaining this fan base that's buying our products, or you're not gaining uh, a generation of, of sports watchers who are in line with what it is we've become as a network or whatever it is that they say. We're, not gonna, we're now not going to pay you $20 billion for 20 years of your right. And when that reality starts to hit, because it will, because baseball is dwindling, the attendance is dropping, you know, sports participation, basketball has passed baseball and youth sports participation now. Um, when they start to realize those things and it starts to affect the bottom line, that's when they're going to start to try to make a change, and it's probably going to be too late. Let's end baseball's on Baseball's not dying. I'm not saying that, but it, it, needs to, it needs to make a change so that, its fan base doesn't start to dwindle faster than any other major North American sport. I, I totally agree. And let's end on this. The Atlantic League is trying a lot of new things. And new things, to me, don't hurt. Uh, and it can only help bring more interest of the younger fan base. Whether we're talking about robo-umps, whether we're talking about stealing first base, all the different things they're doing in the Atlantic League. Do you think this is good for the future of baseball to have change? Because change in the NFL, change in major, uh, change in the NBA has been great for these two sports. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively indifferent on it all because, and I'll tell you why, I think it's a solution in search of a problem because what you're really talking about is, that, look, you and I love baseball. 
So if the game is three hours and 10 minutes, we're going to watch it. And if the game's two hours and 45 minutes, we're going to watch it. And we're going to enjoy it. The, the fan who doesn't watch baseball isn't going to watch if it's three hours and 10 minutes. And they're also not going to watch if it's two hours and 45 minutes. They don't care. That's not why they're not watching. And so I, that's why I call it solutions in search of a problem. Um, baseball's done a hell of a job marketing these, these changes. And they've, like you said, they've sat on their hands in marketing other aspects of their game like their players. And you're not going to get people to care who are casual or non-baseball fans. You're not going to get them interested in their sport unless they're interested in the product, unless they're interested in the people who play the sport. And until you do that, all of this stuff is fine and good, and it's going to make a headline or two here and there, but it's not going to do long-term what you need it to do. Great stuff, as always. That's why we bring you on. And if there's anything you need to promote, let us know, and we'll put it out here on A's Cast Live. Yeah, just uh, give me a follow on Twitter. I'm at A-W-I-T-R-A-D-O. A-W-I-T-R-A-D-O. And uh, you can catch me on uh, Forbes Sports Money or ESPN.com. So uh, anytime, guys, any, anytime you want to have me back on, uh, like I said, I'm all about this innovation. So I think you guys are doing a great job. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Well, we want to say thank you to Ken Korak, the new Hall of Famer, Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros, Bip Roberts, who does A's pre- and post-game live for NBC California, and Anthony Wittrato from Forbes Magazine. That'll do it from A's Unfiltered. Come by and say hi and see me in the treehouse, and we'll see you all out at A's Games. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 